Hi, I'm your host Pratik Panda and you're listening to Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast by Philo. Here we talk to the best and brightest in influencer marketing to help answer all your questions from finding the right influencers to making sure you have the best influencer marketing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome everybody to another episode of Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast. Joining us today is Lola Ortiz, a strategic marketing specialist with over 10 years of experience in strategic development, target audience definition, brand launches, commercial offerings, digital brand strategy and so much more. She is the executive director at Smart Cookie Media, a full solution marketing firm focused on creating thought leadership for brands and individuals. Now, before we get started on our conversation today, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your preferred podcast platform so that you can continue to stay updated on the latest and most valuable industry insights. Thank you so much for joining us, Lola. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Awesome. So let's get started and get straight to it. One of the things that I ask almost all of my guests is to give me one hot controversial take on influencer marketing, something that you believe in Maybe not everybody agrees to, what would that be? That it's dead. (laughs) (laughs) That is something. We have to dive deeper into that. Why do you think influencer marketing is dead? I mean, I think it needs reformulation. And I think that we are in dire need for just redefining how we use influencers within our marketing mix. And like the words marketing mix are just such vintage words, right? Like whoever studied marketing, you can go back to like the four P's of marketing, but They are foundational and they are real, and you can't just use one type of marketing to reach your target audience. So when I say that influencer marketing is dead, it's that the way it's traditionally used, where people are just handing off a product and paying X amount of money for one guest appearance on some influencer's page, that is like, it should die, it's dead. If it's not dead, someone should kill it already, basically. That makes sense, actually. And let's talk a little bit more about that, right? And the moment you said four Ps, you know, I went back into my B-school days and, you know, some of the things that we used to joke about as marketing students used to be the only four Ps in marketing is please, 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 please. Right? So, <laughs> that's beautiful. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's all we keep doing as marketers, it seems I like. I love that. But, <laughs> yeah. So getting back into this, right, like I've been talking to a lot of influencer marketers and one of the things that is consistent is a lot of them struggle early on in identifying who the right influencers are. And more often than not, you end up doing these one-off ad hoc posts and promotions, right? And what you are also saying is that that format needs to change and we need to look at influencers as partners in growth and build some longer term relationships. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, why you think this change needs to happen? And in your mind, what should be happening? Like if you're a brand marketer or you're a marketer for a brand doing influencer marketing, how should your approach change towards influencer marketing? So that's a really good question. And my only wish is that as I say this, it would become real for all brands. But, you know, there's a long way to go. Basically, what I believe, and it's something that we advocate and work with at Smart Cookie Media, it's that brands need to be a platform. So the brand should in itself be the influencer. And what should happen is that when you're creating content, your brand serves as that playing field for other people to come and speak, right? And so this is why... Terms like thought leadership have really carried a bigger buzz lately. And it's because you're thinking about how you can shift someone's thinking 
by educating them, by providing value to them, right? So ideally, brands, instead of just borrowing from famous people or influencers and giving away their content for free, they would serve as that platform. And this can be as practical as literally having your social media channels as a brand be where the content is happening. Instead of you sending off products and having influencers create content on their platforms, they're using your brand as that platform and it's where the conversation is happening. So I think that's what needs to shift for brand managers and creating partnerships that are valuable with influencers, with people in their target audiences is a way of getting that platform scope of reach to be bigger, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And, you know, one of the things is around trust and authenticity as well. And there are so many influencers out there that searching and discovery itself is a painful process. How do you go from identifying who is right for your brand and then trying to define this longer term partnership? I'm glad you came back to that because you mentioned about target audiences. And I think that that's the key measure. And it's something that in my whole career, it's been a very few cases. I'm going to be generous. It's been very few cases when I've come up with a brand and we're working together and they can clearly define who their target audience is. And I think that's the key to actually being able to do anything in marketing that is worthwhile. Because what we're looking at is who has the biggest audience. We're not thinking, well, who is my audience and who are they following? People that use my brand on a daily basis, how are they using their phone? How are they using my brand? There's like this amazing research paper by, I think her name is Susan Fournier. And it was about how people create emotional connections with brands to the point where in the psyche, it's like if it were a boyfriend, you know, like my sun cream. The way I use it and the interaction that I have and the love that I have for this brand that sits in my everyday it is a relationship that I formed. And so brands need to find the people that have a relationship with their product, understand them, get under their skin, and then create partnerships with people that speak to them. And I think that's what's missing. And it's just, it's quite foundational in a way, because who is your target audience? And don't just give me demographics. Tell me what are they watching on a Saturday night? What are they eating for breakfast? You know, like you need to really get in there. Awesome. And one of my guests actually was sharing an experience where they were helping a B2B brand that sells software to CFOs. But typically you would think that when you're thinking about an influencer marketing campaign, you would want to, you know, find more finance specific influencers and get them to talk about your software and so on. But what they did is basically what you are also suggesting is understand your audience so well or your buyer so well that they found a pattern that a lot of the CFOs that they were selling to used to play golf. So the influencers they started working with were people who were creating videos about golf, right? And now that's the kind of example that you are also talking about where, you know, understand your buyer so well that you know what they eat, what they watch on a Saturday night. That's going to give you ideas about what kind of influencers you need to work with. Is that right? Yeah, that's literally that. And then taking that a step further and creating content around that so that the brand in itself is creating value for those CFOs, for example, and then inviting people that are in golf. Let's talk about your finances. But the conversations are happening with the brand, making the brand a platform. And I think that the beauty of that is that vanity metrics, like how many followers does this influencer have versus that one sort of go out the window because if actually there's a particular topic that's really important to your target audience, it doesn't matter. It can be a nano-influencer that has under a thousand followers or whatever you want to define a nano-influencer as, you know. So it's not really about the amount of followers, 
but it's about who exactly is the right person to speak to those that are consuming your product. Makes sense. And you touched upon something called as vanity metrics, and we'll dive a little bit deeper into the metrics part of things. But before we get there, do you want to talk a little bit about Smart Cookie Media? What is your role there? What do you folks do? Yeah, sure. So I'm executive director, which means I run and oversee operations and have a lot to do with the overall strategy for the brands that we work with, but then also a lot of the founders that we work with one-to-one. And essentially what we believe is that because of the impact of technology, we are seeing this shift in consumer behavior and how potential target audiences interact with brands. And so we sit at that intersection of creating content that speaks to how people are now responding to brands specifically. And so more often than not, it's thought leadership content, which is educating and providing value. But then it's also a lot of reality style content, which is something that you mentioned about authenticity. Well, we strongly believe, and when I mentioned that influencers are dead, that's what I think should die with it. It's the fake content. And I know we're going to talk about this later in the interview, but user-generated content is or should be, by its definition, a lot more authentic, which is why that could carry a lot more weight when you're talking about what type of initiatives a brand should have. So we believe at Smart Cookie Media that authentic approach to content creation is the way moving forward. And so we try to bring that forward to any of the brands that we work with. We do a lot of videos like a day in a life videos, but they're actual day in a life. It's not just like a polished approach to what someone understands as a day in a life. It's real content. Because as you've seen the rise of reality TV, that's something that carries on into marketing as well. And it's something that we strongly believe in. So yeah, it's a very research-driven approach because the first thing that we do is understand target audiences and then understand what is their need or their problem and create content around that. All right. So let's get back into the metrics part, right? You mentioned a little bit about vanity metrics. In the influencer marketing world for a long time, those were the metrics that were being followed, right? Like follower count and things like that, right? And how many likes you got and so on. But the world we are living in today, if you go deeper into somebody's profile, you can see a lot of the comments are not even relevant to the post. A lot of it is spam. A lot of it is self-promotion. A lot of it is bots, right? Now, if you're a brand and you've sponsored an influencer and all you're looking at is their follower count and how much engagement you got on that post, there is a fair probability that you're basically not assessing the results in the right way. And you also mentioned about you folks trying to create more thought leadership style content. So what do you think is the metrics that matter today then? Like what are things that you would measure if you want to measure success? I think metrics should be defined based on campaign objectives and they should be personalized per brand, per client and per campaign. Obviously, you can check engagement. I think engagement is number one in a lot of aspects because like who's interacting with your brand. But at the end of the day, what is the campaign? What is the objective? And based on that, we can define exactly how we're going to measure it. Because when we create generalized metrics, we're not really feeding into specific needs that a brand can have at a specific moment. Now, I do think that a lot of influencer marketing campaigns should be more geared towards brand awareness, but they're actually geared towards conversion. And I don't believe that's correct because it's very, very hard for you to be able to get someone from one post from someone that's a brand partner to move into buying a product. It's very hard to get that, whereas they can actually plant a little seed in a potential consumer's brain. So I would measure things like engagement, but then I would also look at direct interactions with brand links, for example, like was there a link that was clicked? Like there's ways of measuring it. But I think the key for me is how do you personalize metrics for each campaign? Got it. 
Makes sense. And do you think there is a difference between content generated by an influencer versus what is truly defined as user-generated content? I think there should be, <laughs> but that's not always the case. It's been interesting because I've been following this shift of user-generated content and seeing how when you go on TikTok and you look for it, there's a lot of people, they're like, how you can make money with user-generated content? And so there's always that deviation from what was the organic approach, right? And that's like every marketer's dream is the fact that you have people that are using those, like my example of the sun cream, that are using your products and I'm using that sunscreen and I love it so much that actually, you know what? I need to share this. Like, this is insane. It's changed my life. And so that aha moment that you get, like that's a sweet spot when you get people loving your brand so much that they truly want to share what they're doing with your product or service. And so that's what user-generated content by definition is. However, we are seeing that it is being polarized and it's changing into paid content as well. So it's a tricky one, really. So as a marketer, how do you even approach, let's say, Lola Ortiz in this example, right? You've mentioned the sunscreen and, you know, there are a bunch of products that I use day to day and I absolutely love them. But the brand doesn't know that I love them and the brand doesn't know that I'm okay to talk about them as well. As a marketer, how do you discover more, I would just call it for the lack of a better word, regular people? Because the thing is, if we go back to the history of influencer marketing, influencer marketing might seem like a new thing, but influence has always existed, right? Like I influence my friends in certain purchasing decisions. They influence me in certain purchasing decisions. The television set I bought, a bunch of my friends really liked and they went ahead and bought the same television. And, you know, so we influence people so frequently, but a lot of us regular social media users don't typically do brand promotions, right? So as a marketer, how do you identify such opportunities where you can actually truly create user-generated content? This goes back to what we were talking about, about understanding your target audience. And the first thing to understanding your target audience is evaluating your current users. Who are your current consumers? And so a brand needs to be able to understand, study, analyze who exactly is buying their products to the point of being able to see who would be willing to do that. And if a brand can't answer that, then it needs to go back and sit with the sales team and evaluate exactly who's purchasing my products and analyzing the data and seeing like Pratik, he's rebought this four times in three months. That's something to reach out, a call. Hey, why are you using our product? Okay, what's going on? You get to know them. You understand and then you create those connections and you invite them on. And like we work, for example, with Steinway Pianos and completely different market. It's very, very high end ticket price, right? One would think that they wouldn't let you in to that. But with the sales team, we work so closely with them that they know the moment that someone buys a piano, they know this person will let us into their home. And they just ask them, well, how have you thought about this purchase process? Would you like us to document how you're going to use this piano? You're going to do it in a reality style mini film, mini documentary. And a lot of them are like, you know, yeah, why not? I'd love to share my story about this. I love this piano. So I think it's connecting with the sales team, but it's also very data driven. It's analyzing who your current consumers are so you can reach future consumers. Got it. And if we are talking more about user-generated content, you might have an influencer marketing strategy around it as well. But how do you make sure that it doesn't outrightly end up being so promotional that 
it beats the purpose of it looking like user-generated content. I think that it's delicate. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing because of the impact of technology and the abundance of information and the fact that I can check if things are real or not, I think there is a growing cynicism for what is advertorial content. And that's the shift that needs to be made. Just like you have influencer marketing guidelines, you can have user-generated content guidelines. And the key takeaway is that you have to move as far away from ad-type content as possible. And so it's we want to see how you use our product. And obviously, it's quite normal for you to give some form of remuneration, be it in the same product. But if they actually love your brand, they'd love a product that's tied to what they usually use, you know? I'm a bit divided about the paying users because I think that when you pay them, it just deviates from the brand and goes more in the field of influencer marketing in a sense of what is typically used as influencer marketing, because I am aware that when used right, it can be quite powerful. But I think that brand guidelines are important for any type of marketing. And so it's about how you can push that narrative without sort of choking their creativity in a sense. So would you say that as a brand, you should have an influencer marketing strategy, but also maybe the content team on a user-generated content strategy? Yeah, I think they complement each other perfectly. And I think that when used correctly, they can just increase the scope of reach tremendously. And I think that when influencers are selected correctly for the right target audience with the right brand, they can be super powerful. Can we talk about some brand that did this really well? It could be a brand that you've worked with or you've studied well, where they used a good mix of this approach. I think my favorite brand is GoPro. And like, it's fascinating because I know their campaigns quite well, but I can't name people that they've used because I'm not the target audience. I mean, I'm not a friend of adrenaline at all, but I was studying this from a marketing perspective. And it's the fact that they literally scoured the internet and looked for content creators that were travelers and said, we're going to give you a GoPro. Just keep doing what you're doing. That's it. And then they were using influencers. So people that were high level content, like high level of engagement that had a high number of followers. But then they also did that with regular Joes. And so that created just a campaign that was both organic and the beauty of it, it created content for GoPro's page as well. So it's a win-win and that's just how a brand should really work. Yeah. And again, going back to success metrics, you would not only look at engagement here, but you're also trying to see how that's helping GoPro not only up their brand game, but also help measure conversions. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. And I think that as a brand, it's long overdue, but there's a lot of brands that are now waking up to the importance of content. And in a way, influencers and user-generated content are a way of a brand gaining more content because you can't be creating videos every day. It's quite hard for brands that are starting to get into the game. So using key partners is a way of just being able to create a lot more content, literally. Got it. And one of the things we discussed early on in the interview was around finding and discovering the right kind of influencers. So let's say as a brand, you know, you've done the hard job of identifying who your persona is, what do they do, where do they hang out, etc. How do you go about selecting the right kind of influencers that would be the best fit for your brand? I mean, I think that creates the need for another layer of research. Once you understand your target audience, then that means that you know what they listen to, the type of content they consume. Like, for example, we had a client that was an MD from Morgan Stanley, and he had a problem. And that was that he needed to educate younger generations about training in the workforce. And we did research and we realized that this group of people, their top show that they watched was Suits, the show with Meghan Markle. 
So we were like, okay, so they watch suits. So that means that we can create content emulating suits about training and they'll find it engaging. So when you're understanding and studying a target audience, you need to understand what type of content they're consuming, what is their pain or interest. And that's a question that can be a direct question in a survey. So what influencers do you follow? And you'll see patterns emerge. And these are the people that you should be hiring or considering for brand partnerships. Got it. Makes sense. And a lot of times I've actually, when I've asked this question to people, more often than not, let's say, for example, myself as a marketer, I do follow a few marketing experts, but in my head, I don't view them as influencers. So when this question comes up, more often than not, I'm thinking about the influencers whose content I enjoy watching when I'm taking a break or whatever, right? So I think that's the layer that gets missed in the market research part. And what you're suggesting, you know, asking this in a survey is great because it helps you understand what content somebody is scrolling through on a Friday evening or on a Saturday afternoon or whatever. And it's not just about work, right? Or what your job description wants you to do. That's literally it. And I think that the more we get to know how users use our product or service and how they go about their day-to-day -day lives, it's just gold for any brand, really. Makes sense. And let's talk a little bit about content strategy, right? And I've been talking about this topic with a few of my guests on the show as well. Once you've gone ahead and identified the right influencers, you've given them some brief around what you want out of the campaign. How prescriptive should you be as a marketer on what you want that content to be? Do you leave enough creative freedom for the creator to come up with the concept themselves? Or where do you draw the line? Do you prescribe exactly what they should say? Or should you take a step back and just let them figure out what works for their audience? I think it's a double-edged sword sometimes. And it's a difficult and delicate tango to dance. But I do think that when a brand chokeholds what a influencer or content creator needs to create, it is evident or it can be evident to both followers of the brand or the influencer. So it loses any appeal because it just becomes like an ad and way too just fixed. However, that's why like what we were talking about, brand guidelines are so important. And I don't care what budget your brand has. You can sit down with a PDF and just like use Canva free version and type out exactly what's the vocabulary. Like you need to set guidelines for yourself, for your team, for those who work with you and for brand partners. So I always try to allow for creativity. There must be levels of approval, but you need to understand that you've hired people that are usually professionals and that they have a certain way of doing things that their followers like, and they know best how to reach out to them. So that's something to keep in mind. All right. Makes sense. What would you say are some emerging trends in this whole social content creation space that as marketers, we need to be prepared for? Well, I think the whole day in a life video type content is something that has just kicked off in a way that's been great to see to the point where it's now just like everywhere the people are doing day in a life. And I think like we've been doing day in a life for like six years, waiting for people to catch up. I think that's really good. What it shows is the need for authenticity in content creation. And I think that we will continue to see that push through. So I think authenticity, and it's not even, do you call it a trend? I don't know if it would be a trend, but it's there's a need of consumers wanting genuine content, and that is going to just increment. And then the second thing is products moving to the back line. So more product placement, less product showing, you know? So if I'm going to do any type of video content, maybe the product, like the 
Mac mouse is here in my computer, but you know what I mean? Like it's in the background and it's always there to the point where someone might ask, what mouse are you using? You know, so this indirect way is going to generate more sales than the direct approach where people are automatically rejecting. Yeah, last month I was at a conference and Colin and Samir were there and somebody just mentioned that there's a lamp in one of their videos which looked really great and they wanted to know where did you get that lamp from, right? Like that's how subtle the placement has to be, right? And one of the things that was also being talked about at that conference was more from a creator's view as well that a lot of times you want to be able to monetize your content but you don't want to always be promotional about things either, right? So as a content creator also you want to focus more on your content and what benefits your audience rather than being a promoter of brand. But I mean, of course you have to make your ends meet and so on. So brand promotions become part of the whole mix. But a lot of these more organic placements are things that everybody's comfortable with, right? Like What's that nice looking light in the background and what's that mouse you're using, you know, what's the TV in the background and so on, right? And you're suggesting that that's where this organic thing needs to happen over time. And I think it's always been there, right? And it's the same thing because with this whole AI wave that is not going anywhere and will just continue incrementing. We're seeing a lot of shifts in the way people interact with everyday products as well and the way we interact with brands and everything. AI is shifting everything. But at the end of the day, I truly believe that on a foundational level, we can still go back to the 101 psychology, 101 marketing, because the human is still human. And there are certain things that always make them tick. And I think product placement is something that has been used forever. But now more than ever, because of so much content that's out there and because a savvy consumer is getting more skeptical about what are they trying to sell to me, we need to bring that forward again. And I hope that will be the case. Sounds good. Moving on to something a little more fun. If you were to take out an influencer to lunch, who would that person be and why? There's this chef. He started just creating videos on TikTok. And now he's an influencer. Now he gets hired by these amazing brands. And like I followed his journey and it's like, this is insane how now you're getting hired by Marks and Spencers, which is one of the largest supermarket brands in the UK. His name is Max Lugaver. I can't even say his name properly, but you can find him online and he makes these amazing recipes. And that's a great example of like good organic content that turned influencer and still staying true to himself. And I would love to have dinner. Well, that he would cook me dinner would be great because he's a chef. So. Yeah, I think that's the perfect kind of person to go out on lunch or dinner <laughs> with because, you know, either they're going to cook you a great meal or at least know where to take you. So that the meal's really great, at least. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. So for anybody who is starting out in the field of influencer marketing or even starting to think more about a content strategy where UGC plays an important part, what are some tips and advice you would give? Well, I think, and I know that we've gone over this quite a bit, but again, understand your target audience. And this applies like to anyone really. Like if you're a brand and you want to create a more robust marketing strategy, understand your target audience. If you're an influencer that wants to continue to grow, understand who's following you. And there is no detriment to analyzing data and understanding who is engaging with your brand product or your page if you're a person. Awesome. Anything else you would want to add to that? 
Not really. I mean, I just think that as marketeers, we should really stay on top of analyzing data, but then also understanding the implications that AI will have for the future and how we can use the new tools that are available to us to continue to do our jobs better, basically. Have you seen some sort of example, especially in the AI space, that's really helping out this particular segment? I think AI is helping us create content quicker, which is great. So editing content faster in vertical formats so that we can have a more influx of content is wonderful. And then also, obviously, with ChatGPT, how you can move into, like, if you need to create a brand guideline, ChatGPT is your best friend, you know? Yep. What are your thoughts around AI influencers, right? Like, there are companies that help you create AI influencer bots, and I'm seeing more and more brands also launch something similar. And some of them are very straight and clear that, okay, this is an AI influencer. In some others, it's really hard to say. What are your thoughts around this whole trend around having influencers that are AI created? I think the first one, her name was Maya, Mia, something like that. I've looked at it quite a bit, actually, because I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating that humans can be influenced by anything, including someone that isn't even real. From a brand's perspective, I think that this broadens the scope of who you can work with, but then it also poses the question, should brands have their own influencers? And I don't know the answer to that, but it's something that I've been thinking about. It does show the need for brands to humanize themselves further because people connect with people. So in a sense, it just pushes forward the fact that faceless corporations are dead because if people are following influencers that aren't real, but just because they look human, they're someone I want to interact with. That means that as a brand, who are they interacting with? It's not your logo, you know? So I wonder if AI-generated influencers are a way of brands humanizing themselves, which is ironic because it's not really a human. But <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a great point because I asked this to someone else and they pretty much said something on similar lines, right? Where you know, as humans, you would be surprised that it doesn't matter. Like we know that this is AI generated, but we still love the content. We still follow recommendations. We still want to, you know, hear what they put out, right? And that's amazing to even know and realize that that's possible. And which is why I think that's a trend that brands have noticed as well. And I think you've summed it up the best way that it gives brands an opportunity to humanize themselves, even if it's not truly human, right? But it gets the brand as close to being a human as possible. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, awesome. I think, Lola, we've reached a point where I think that's a very good conclusion for us to drive on. And thank you so much for spending time with me. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and it was amazing talking to you. Likewise, Pratik. Thank you so much. It was some great questions and I look forward to seeing the episode once it's live. Thank you. Impulse, the influencer marketing podcast is brought to you by Philo. Philo is the easiest way to get access to authenticated creator data from hundreds of different platforms. To know more about Philo, visit getphilo.com. That's get, P-H-Y-L-L-O.com. Also, make sure to search for Influencer Marketing Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast listening platforms. And don't forget to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Philo, thank you so much for listening.